1: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
0: If you had to rank the most popular people currently in the state of Utah, who would be in your top five? For me, it goes Donovan Mitchell, Joseph Smith, Roseanne Barr, and one Ryan Leaf. Welcome, everybody, to Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcast Network, where we will get you set for lucky number week 13 of Pac-12 football. But first, we need to start with the most prevalent topic on today's docket. The entire state of Utah tweeting and commenting their affinity for (laughs) Ryan Leaf's takes that he had on Tuesday right here on this very podcast that the Utah Utes, number one, deserve to be seen above the Oregon Ducks, and the college football playoff uh, conversation. But not only that, that they would currently, right now, if these two teams played, that Utah would not just beat the Ducks, but beat them by double digits. You stand by those comments, Ryan.
1: (laughs) Yeah, of course. I mean, they're meaningless, right? (laughs) Uh, Other than, uh, you know, for discussion points, um, I think that – That this weekend will tell us a lot, right? I mean, both teams travel to the desert. I think the Arizona State game is going to be much more of a difficult situation for Oregon. And Utah needs to do exactly what they've been doing since the loss to USC. And that's, you know, burying people under the ground. And uh, when the game happens, which I thoroughly believe is going to happen on December 6th, uh, I I still feel right now like Utah's the better team and and will win that football game. You know, we'll see what the next two weeks present. But uh, I can't wait for that football game, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, it's going to be perhaps the game of the year, at least in the Pac-12, man. I mean, a top seven Utah versus top seven Oregon team. Uh, and, and you said it on Tuesday that these guys, or whenever our viewers or listeners may have been listening to this podcast, that it's going to be back and forth, or it could be back and forth between these two teams until that game is played. So in week 13, you have Oregon in Arizona to play Arizona State. You have Utah just about two hours south in Tucson playing Arizona how do these two games play out in your mind to where either Oregon jumps Utah in the Ryan Leaf Power Rankings or Utah holds its spot ahead of Oregon?
1: Well, I think uh, for the most part, and this is more of a national narrative, is the fact that ESPN's going with their primetime team to Tempe for the Arizona State-Oregon game, right? Oregon is not the brand. or I mean, Utah is not the brand in all of this. And the committee continues to show us that brand – is significant in what they're doing. Just look at them putting USC in the top 25 this week. We'll get into that a little bit more uh, here a little bit later. But the fact that ESPN and, and the primetime show and Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler and Maria Taylor, everybody's heading to Tempe for this game. It's a great opportunity for Oregon to make a statement. It's also a, a wonderful opportunity for the Pac-12 to Pac-12 and to cannibalize a situation here because guess what? Oregon's already in the conference championship. You know, the game's meaningless in, in, in other than for the college football playoff rankings. It's, they still can win the conference regardless of how they do the next two weeks. And that's that's important to remember. They have to be ready to come play. They have to be ready to put up some style points against a very good uh, Herm Edwards coach football team. These, these, these types of games that Arizona State plays in are often tight. And the 14-point spread makes you believe like it's supposed to be a, a blowout, a double-digit, to score or more type of win for Oregon that's what they need to do. Do you for, I mean do you foresee that happening?
0: Oregon goes to Arizona every single year, right? Last year they lost. They got blown out by Arizona. They go to Arizona State this year who arguably uh, has its up and downs, ups and downs. Thomas Graham, star defensive back for Oregon this morning actually said that he thinks Jaden Daniels and of course this is from a very uh, uh narrow perspective Jaden Daniels is the best freshman in the nation at the quarterback position we don't have to go into whether or not that's true but there obviously is a lot of hype surrounding Jaden Daniels a- and the confidence that he can bring does he hold the keys to Arizona State upsetting Oregon at home
1: I, I mean he'd, he'd have to play his perfect game right but that that still wouldn't be that would still wouldn't be enough the defense then has to do something uh you know make Justin Herbert turn into a a run-of-the-mill quarterback which no one's been able to do and I don't think anybody will be able to do. So, I mean, it's, it's so far-reaching. I mean, if they can keep it close, which Herm Edwards been been known to do, maybe they can steal one somehow with a field goal late in the football game. I just don't foresee that to happen. I, I think that uh, with what teams have shown you up to this point, believe what they show you. And Utah and Oregon have showed us a lot. They've showed us that they're capable of beating down teams they're supposed to beat. Uh, Utah did this to, to Arizona State a while back. Beat them twenty-one to three. Uh, if if that would have been better weather, it could have been a m- lot uglier, I think. Uh, and they made Jaden Daniels look like a freshman quarterback. And I wouldn't be surprised if this Oregon football team makes Jaden Daniels look like a freshman quarterback once again.
0: It's a Tuesday night at Caesar's Palace, and or I guess it's Thursday. Thursday night at Caesar's Palace. I'm looking to put, you know, my hard-earned cash from the last week on one of these games, and this game comes up on, on the docket. Do I take the 14-and-a-half-point spread?
1: You do. You do. Oregon last week, 27-and-a-half-point favorites, win by 28. Uh, it was a winner for me. They've done a, a pretty good job. Uh, but the whole point in this is that the game is meaningless in terms of the, of the conference narrative. But that's not what they're about anymore. They know they're playing for the conference championship, so that goal's there. But for them to be in the college football rankings uh, and to be in the college football playoff, they have to win, and they have to win with style points because they got uh, they got competition up on ESPN. They got guys like Pollock and Galloway telling you all that whoever wins the Pac-12 championship has to do it in style, like what Ohio State did to Wisconsin years back in 2014, which I think is absurd. And then you have Pollock talking about talking up Alabama as a team that could get in because right. of their talent and their success and all of these things. The Pac-12 conference is fighting against more than one opponent right now. Each and every week they play, and it's even though that it may not be in their DNA to rack up style points, you have to cover the spread. That's that's the first thing in this thing. It's not squeak by with something, but actually cover what the spread is. That's the first way of putting up style points. If you get if you get uh, if you win by three points over the spread, that's good enough in my opinion. You don't have to beat them by twenty points more, but if you but for you to get those style points, you have to cover what the spread is.
0: Utah is a 23-point favorite in Arizona, 57.5 over-under. I think there's going to be more points put up than that. What's your take on that?
1: It's gone up. It was 21 to start the week. It is now, to your point, 23 points. You know, for me, I, I would have never thought to take these types of games, these types of points with the Utah Utes. Because I, you know, defensively, I knew they were going to stop people. I just didn't know offensively they were going to be able to score points. The difference is, is they put together a football team now with the dynamic play of both Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss and the rest of that offense, and they score points. Forty nine against UCLA a week ago. You know, fifty-two against Oregon State, thirty-five against a Cal team that hadn't allowed over twenty four in like sixteen consecutive games, right? They're scoring points. So, you know, the only difference is it's on the road, but for them to continue with style points, they have to cover the spread here. And for the second week in a row, I believe they can do it. And I went, I went Utah minus the twenty-two and a half or twenty-three.
0: You heard it here. That game at seven o'clock on Fox Sports One. That's a that'll be their uh, their version of Pac-12 After Dark. Whatever. Well, it'll be interesting to see
1: one. the viewership, the ratings right. on that, right? Because they're going up against one another, uh, essentially. Well, okay. no, it'll be right after. It'll be right after. So it'll be late night Pac-12 After Dark on it on FS One. It will come right after the Oregon performance. Uh, against Arizona State on on ESPN ABC, so uh, that'll be good good back to back. I'll uh, well, I will want- get a chance to see them both, which will be good. My game's at 1 p.m. Uh, kickoff Pacific, so I should be able to get a chance to see them both at the hotel after the game.
0: Oh, don't spoil the end of the show where I ask you where you're going to be this week. I didn't tell you. That's true. That was was Ryan Leaf's tease right there. Uh, Ironically, though, three games are actually on ESPN Family Networks. 1230, USC, UCLA. I thought that was going to be an 8 o'clock game. I'm not going to lie. But they lucked out. They get the noon game, ABC. USC finds themselves 23rd in the eyes of the college football playoff committee. A reaction that I think a lot of people had, which was surprised. And, And Ryan... You told me before we did the podcast that your reaction was a little bit strong to this as well. Can you explain to us why USC is seen the way that they are by the College Football Playoff Committee and how this affects the 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 perspective that Utah and Oregon are now seen as?
1: I was shocked when it, when it came up on the TV. I, I saw all of a sudden USC's name at twenty three, and I just like, where did that come from? And uh, really getting a chance to look at things last night, talk about it a little bit. Uh, uh, on Wednesday, and, and 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 speak to you here on Thursday about it. It it was, it was like an understanding because the committee's about to do something they've never done before, and that's to not put in an Alabama team for the first time ever. I believe they're setting the, setting everybody up for the evidence they need to back their decision to take a Pac-12 champion when the committee uh, makes their decision on December eighth, and to do that. Uh, In the case of Utah possibly winning the championship game, they can't have that USC loss look as bad as a lot of people want to make it. So if they're a top 25 team, let's say 23rd, maybe next week after a win over UCLA, maybe they're 19. All of a sudden you throw Washington in the last poll as a possible 25th or 24th team, and now you have two opponents, two top 25 opponents that have been ranked that have both beaten Washington, Oregon's beaten USC badly, and now the loss doesn't look as bad for Utah. So if Utah were to win, now the committee has some ammunition to back them up and say this is why, this is why, this is why your beloved Crimson Tide isn't playing in the college football playoff for the first time since its its inception.
0: So USC beats Utah on a Freak Friday. Oregon blows out USC in the Coliseum about three weeks ago. And the case is still made by you and a whole bunch of, of, of other sports media members with a lot of credibility that Utah still should be seen above Oregon in the conversation. Why is it that USC obviously being valued the way that they are in the college football playoff committee's eyes doesn't put Oregon above Utah because Oregon handled them when Utah couldn't?
1: Well, I think it easily could. I, I, I tend to look at uh, common opponents other than that game, that's that brought it right back to the moment. Don't don't forget, I have them four and five in the in the rankings. You know, and, and, and it might be a slight advantage if you want to flip flop them. I wouldn't necessarily be. I would object to that. I'd go. You know what? You know, I had Oregon two weeks ago. Uh, as the number one team in the power rankings anyway. I just flip flopped them because of what they've looked like over the past few weeks. In particular, Washington State. Washington State's a good litmus test for me. Washington State goes down to Utah, got smashed. Washington State goes to Oregon. Probably should have won the football game. Yep. And the other one is Cal, seventeen to seven, win for Oregon. They were down at halftime, thirty-five uh, nothing, for Utah and Cal. Now I know the USC team is 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 a common opponent. One that had different results: a loss and a loss, a loss and a, and a drubbing. And that for a lot of people would say, okay, you know, we'll put uh, we'll put Oregon ahead of Utah, and I I I understand that. Um, It's all going to play out. This is all for show right now where we're putting things. And for me in particular, it's just – also what the committee has done is they said that – because you know what? Oregon and Utah don't belong ahead of Penn State or Oklahoma in the college football rankings. Yet there they are. You know, why? Because the committee has stated with those four teams that it is the eye test. It's not the resume. The eye test for them is that Oregon and Utah are better than what they've seen than what Oklahoma and, let's say, Penn State have. Um, Do you agree? I could agree, yeah. But I'm also going by the eye test on these right, games. you know. Right. So I'm not going by resume with this. I don't have uh, a leg to stand on in terms of evidence with resume to put Utah as the number four team in the country right now. What I'm doing is, from what I've seen, uh, how I've seen them improve, play at the quarterback position, defensive dominance, those things for me uh, are – are really what take me to place. So it's a big reason why I've had Clemson at number one the entire year, because I feel like if you take Clemson, put them on a neutral field with anybody in the top 25, in particular in the top four, they win those football games. That's why they're number one in my eyes. I'm also not up in arms over the committee, not having Clemson at number one, but at number three, I'm like, I don't care. Put them in at number four when it's all said and done. It's still like, as long as they're in, right. they're going to play. So and this is all going to play out. And my only worry is when it comes down to the college football playoff committee is that they have an 11-1 Alabama team sitting there. And they've been pressured by lobbyists that work for my network and uh, others from all over the country. And Rob Mullins, the guy that really could lobby for the, the Pac-12, is out of the room because he can't be there for the top six rankings pretty much because Oregon's going to be involved. And there's no one really backing the Oregon Ducks for that fourth spot or the Utah Utes for that fourth spot. And then the question's asked early in the morning on December 8th before the rankings come out. How good is Alabama? Can we keep an 11-1 and Alabama team whose only loss is to the number one or number two ranked team in the country by five points with a limited starting quarterback in Tua and then losing him completely for the rest of the year and doing – uh, a top, top twenty, top fifteen win against an Auburn team with your backup quarterback in decisive fashion. How are they not one of the four best teams in the country? Is that last data point of a conference champion that much impo- that that more important? We've seen in the past where it not be. We've seen where conference champions, in particular, two loss Penn State team, doesn't go as a conference champion when a, a one loss Ohio State team gets in. Right. right. So. They've clearly said that conference championships aren't necessarily that important. That's my biggest fear because they are as the brand as brand can be. And if the committee finally does something that they've never done before and they leave the Alabama Crimson's tied out, they better have evidentiary proof to back whoever they're going to put in. And to do that, they need to bolster both the resumes of Oregon and Utah. And this weekend, or this week with the college football rankings, was the first step by playing, by uh, putting in USC at number 23. Now, the worst thing in the world for the college football playoff rankings and the committee hey, is it, to see UCLA win this football oh, game this right. weekend. right. Right? If they were to win this football game, now UC, USC's out. They're a five-loss team. Their next best thing is to bring in Washington, but both that helps both Oregon and Utah. The USC... Elephant in the room is still there, where Utah lost to them, and that looks like a bad loss. Doesn't look as bad as a South Carolina loss to, right? You know, South Carolina win over Georgia, but but it's it's bad, and it's one that won't be able to back up the committee as much if they decide to go that route and not put Alabama in. And and I don't believe it will. I believe they're going to do the right thing, that Alabama doesn't get in for the first time. But God, it would sicken me if something like that happened
0: take the USC ranking with a grain of salt as Ryan just explained so elegantly it is a contingency to be able to justify both Oregon and Utah it is not there because USC is valued in the same conversation as some of these other teams that are seated in similar spots now the other thing that this this brings is the whole Clay Helton conversation now Almost, it doesn't change, but it adds a little bit of doubt of whether or not this guy's going to be gone next year, right? He could still be on the sideline after USC plays in the Holiday Bowl because they ended up in the top 25 in the eyes of the College Football Playoff Committee.
1: Imagine this scenario. Imagine if Utah stumbles in a game against Arizona this weekend or against uh, Colorado next weekend. USC wins the South. Then USC goes and beats an Oregon team in the Pac-12 championship. Now you're talking about a Clay Helton who's 8-4, and 9-4 and four with a Pac-12 championship. How do you, how do you fire that guy? You, you, I don't know what you do there. I, I don't believe that's going to happen. I mean, don't get me wrong. The nail in the coffin for, for Clay Helton, for me, and we've to, we spoke to it before, it, is what they're doing in the recruiting. And as a head coach, the depth, the problem that for them this year is normally in the past, USC – has had the depth behind them because of the recruiting model, and they've been able to go to guys when guys get injured, not so much. They are bare bones right now. And because they don't have that depth is a big reason why Clay Helton is most likely going to be gone. Now, don't forget, this is their last game of the year. They don't play Thanksgiving weekend like everybody else. So if they were to win and it be 8-4, and four, and um, the problem with this is they can't fire him right away. Because they got to wait for Utah to play Colorado. Because if Utah were to get beat, they'd be in the Pac-12 championship. Now all of a sudden you say you fire the coach, and now he's not going to coach in the Pac-12 championship? So he's going to still be the head coach for the remainder of the week when they know they don't have a game. And it's just going to be awkward. The whole process is going to be awkward on how this plays out. It's fascinating because I guarantee you the fan base does not want them to be ranked. They don't want good things anymore because they want him out. They want Urban Meyer to be the head coach, plain and simple. That's what they want. And the only thing that I would say is, is, like I said, the nail in the coffin, it's the recruiting. Because he's probably done the best coaching job of his career with the team that they've had to put on the field this season. At at one point playing their third-string quarterback, all the injuries, all the craziness hanging over his head with the possibility of of coaching for his job every single week. I think it's one of the greatest coaching performances I've seen uh, at that level in a long, long time. Problem is, it just it just may not good enough.
0: To put the the recruiting uh, aspect into perspective here, there are twelve teams in the Pac twelve in the class of twenty twenty, which obviously NLI isn't until February. USC is eleventh in the Pac twelve in recruiting for next season. That is awful, especially for a team a blue blood who is in the most frugal region in the nation for football recruits, and you can't get anybody within the top 250 in the nation to sign to your university. You had somebody in Bryce Young, he flipped to Alabama, and, and that's a Clay Helton thing. That's not a program thing. So I agree. I think that uh, the season for USC is is, is a wild roller coaster, um, but when you look at the recruiting, that's where you see the strong Achilles heel, regardless of if they somehow make it to the college or the the Pac-12 championship. Win, lose, it doesn't matter. All right, does does Chip Kelly pull this game off?
1: He did a year ago. He committed to running the football. USC was a much different football team a year ago. Uh, they were down. They were five wins at the time. Um, you know, JT Daniels was the guy. He had found something a little bit more, and I think they were were, were more optimistic. They, they just pounded it with Joshua Kelly, and I expect them to do the same thing. I don't know if it's enough. I think that spread is wildly outrageous. Uh, I think US, uh, UCLA covers the spread. I think USC finds a way to win it uh, and, and to get to 8-4. and
0: Twelve thirty Saturday, minus 14 is the spread of that game. The over-under is 66. I think there will be offense in this game, but I think the offense will come from USC. But take Ryan's advice. Take UCLA plus 14, and I have a feeling that line will change by half a point by the time the game starts because most people probably take UCLA uh, as the plus 14 favorite in this game. 1 o'clock on the Pac-12 network, one of two Pac-12 games not on national television on a Saturday. Stanford hosting Cal in what might be one of the lowest-scoring games of the day in the conference, probably the lowest-scoring game of the day. Both teams looking for bowl eligibility. Stanford at home, 4-6. What's Cal the over and under? The over/under on this one is thirty-nine and a half.
1: I think that's too many. You think it's too high? Oh yeah, really? Well you put th- this th- game could be ten to nine.
0: So you give it like a twenty-five. Twenty-five would be like your your max on the over/under. <laughs> here.
1: This, this is going to be a game where I don't think there's going to be much scoring. <laughs> you know, uh, defensively they're going to. You know, you know, KJ Costello's not playing. Davis Mills is going to go. Uh, he threw for five hundred yards last week, but they only got twenty-two points out of the deal, and that was against Washington State. Try to do it against a Cal defense that is embarrassed by giving up 41 to USC. So, uh, I think this could be one of the lowest scoring games you can imagine. I thought before the year started, this was the year that Cal got over Stanford. They've lost nine consecutive. Uh, this is the 30 today's uh, or yesterday was the 37th anniversary of the play uh, when the band when was the on band, the field, yeah. yeah, in the in the big game. I think Cal finds a way to win this game. If they don't, I think it's going to be a field goal at the buzzer by, let's say, Stanford. Um, Stanford's favored by two and a half. I'm going Cal plus the two and a half here, and, and, and wouldn't surprise me if they win outright.
0: Do we know if Garbers is playing in this game?
1: He is not going to go once. A, it's it's not been definitive yet, but I d- it's doubtful that he goes. If he goes, it's for sure a win for Cal in my opinion. If he doesn't, it's going to be defense uh, for the Cal Bears and how they win this football game.
0: One o'clock, Pac-12 Network. As Ryan said, Stanford's minus two and a half, but. He recommends taking Cal plus two and a half in this one over under 39 and a half.
1: Under. Take the under and run.
0: Uh, there's a couple good parlays in this one. All right, so let's go to the six o'clock game, the other game on the Pac 12 network. Washington State hosting Oregon State. Oregon State, in my mind, has sort of been the Cinderella story if you're going to have one out of the Pac 12, just because. Of The media had them finishing super low. They're 5-5. Five five. They're one win away from bowl eligibility, Ryan Leaf.
1: Well, this game is for that. This is the last chance for both teams, I think, to get bowl eligible because I do not think that Oregon State's going to be able to win the Civil War, and I certainly don't believe that Washington State's going to win the Apple Cup. They haven't done it in six years. Uh, there's no reason for them to, to think they can do it again unless something significantly changes. So this is the game for bowl eligibility for both teams. And it wouldn't surprise me if Jonathan Smith and this Beavers team is able to do it because they have been better on the road than they have been at home this year. Three of their conference wins have been on the road this year. They play well. They're dynamic on offense. The weakness for Washington State, of course, is their defense. The problem is Washington State probably has the best offense in the country. They have the best quarterback in the country when it comes to yards and touchdowns. So it's going to be a shootout. Uh, I do not think the the point spread – uh, 11 and, and half. I don't think Washington State covers that I think they probably win by 10 maybe like maybe you know 48 38 or something like that uh, I'm taking Beavers plus the 11 and a half. Washington State wins the football game gets bowl eligible for the fifth consecutive year which is amazing considering for a span after I left they didn't go to a bowl game for I think like eight consecutive years or something like that that's a huge credit to Mike Leach and that that staff and what they've been able to do in a year where they had to Very difficult road schedule to get to six wins with the possibility of an Apple Cup win. Taking them to seven, I think, is huge. But Jonathan Smith easily could be a candidate for Coach of the Year because of what he did uh, this season and got them to a place. I'd love to see them get bowl eligible. I really, really would. I just don't know with the two final games that they have, in particular on the road at Washington State in Pullman on Senior Day where they're going to honor Tyler Herlinski. Um, All of that, I think, plays into a Washington State victory.
0: 75 over under, you take it?
1: 75, huh? What did I say there? Four, what did I say, 48 38? I think you had it covered. Is that 48 and yeah.
0: 76? 76. All right, take the over.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, 7 o'clock ESPN up against the Utah-Arizona game on Fox Sports. One is Colorado hosting Washington. I don't know why Colorado would win this game other than the weather and Washington plays in Seattle, so it's not like they're not used to, to cold and rainy and windy weather. Um. So, I, I mean, I have Washington handling this game easily. Jacob Eason needs to have a strong ending to his season. And the reason I say that is because he has a decision to make. And it's whether or not he wants to come back and sort of take the Justin Herbert approach or, as a lot of junior quarterbacks do, who have a prospect of getting drafted within the first three rounds, they make themselves eligible and they go live out their gym being paid to play professional football. Which one do you think... Uh, Eason should do, and which one do you think he will do?
1: All right, well, let's start this at the beginning. I I don't think Washington handles anything. Oh, really? okay. okay?
0: I didn't think that was going to be so controversial.
1: Yeah, Colorado, their last home game. Uh, I don't know. I forget if Utah goes to Colorado or not. But anyway, Montez, that team, the big win over Stanford, a bye week heading into this. Uh, both of them coming off buys. I, I just think it's going to be a much closer football game than people expect. I think it will look very similar to what the USC-Colorado uh, game looked like. Um, that's why I think that's a lot of points. Um, so, again, going with the underdog here in terms of, uh, of margin of victory, I, I got Colorado plus the points. Uh, Washington wins the football game. Now, to your point about Jacob Eason, right, there's decisions that are going to have to be made. Um, and, and the question is, is there a legacy conversation here? You know, he's from the area, Lake Stevens. He chose to go away from home and play at Georgia. Didn't work out. Got beat out by a freshman quarterback and Jake Fromm after an injury and returned home. Sat out a year, fought for the the job, got it, and has, for the most part, showed people that he's very capable of being a a wonderful quarterback. I feel like he's regressed a little bit in terms of his pocket presence and him staring down receivers. But he's going to measure well. The question is, does he want his legacy to be something different, Does, or or was this just an ends to a you know a means to an end for him? Was it just to to finish up, play college football, and then get to the level where he wanted to get to next? Now I think if he followed in the footsteps of what Justin Herbert did, came back, played for a conference championship, a national championship, got better with some of those things where you dominate at, that's a difference. You could go to the league and learn these things but you may struggle dearly if you're playing, or you may be riding the bench the whole time. Difference is you're getting paid for it, which is completely different from the college football model, of course. So it's going to be the decision he needs to make. You look at the, the draft pool. He right now probably, unless somebody else sneaks in ahead of him, would be behind Burrow, Tua, and Herbert. So the fourth maybe. A year from now, I think his only competition right now would probably be Trevor Lawrence. And if he goes out and has a winning pedigree, like if they win the conference and he's in the con- college football playoff scenario a year from now, then you have a different conversation. Like, is Jacob Eason the number one draft pick at quarterback? So it's going to be a very personal decision he's going to have to make with him and his family. If I was um, If I was mentoring the young man, I would tell him to come back. And just because I was in the same situation – I was too immature personally, emotionally. He's much more mature than I am emotionally. Athletically, I was ready to go to the next level. I think athletically, he's ready to go to the next level. We'll see what kind of decision he makes. If I'm, if I'm mentoring the, the young man, though, I'm telling him to stay, follow in the footsteps of Justin Herbert, do what he did. Uh, I believe you'll come out the other end in a much better place, uh, in a much higher draft pick than what he would this season.
0: Just to put the quarterback uh, situation in Washington in perspective, big picture-wise, they have a five-star quarterback in Ethan Garbers, the brother of Chase Garbers, fully committed, fully intending to go to Washington after he graduates from Corona Del Mar High School out here in Southern California uh, come May. Now if he goes and he sits behind Jacob Eason for a season, that would really set him up well. So obviously it's it's only up to Jacob Eason the decision that he makes. But from a Washington management standpoint, obviously you want this guy back for the success of the team next year, but it could also lead to a strong mentorship for a young quarterback with a lot of talent that could be primed to take over the program once Eason does leave thereafter. So that covers every game on the Pac-12 slate. Ryan, you gave us a little teaser. One o'clock on ESPNU, but you left us hanging on where you will be.
1: Yeah, I'm headed to my old stomping grounds Going to head the the new sombrero down in tampa uh for south florida memphis memphis now uh the highest ranked group of five team they're on track to play in the cotton bowl as the highest ranked conference champion they they of course have to play cincinnati last week or they have to play cincinnati next week uh which will determine that that opens the door for the possibility of boise state making a move app state who i have if i have the sunbelt uh conference championship this year which most likely if uh, App State holds true uh, will be in Boone North Carolina on December 7th for that game they have a chance to be in the conversation too uh, especially with two power five wins this season so it should be an interesting group of five finish um, uh, very similar to uh, the Pac-12 finish to see what's going to how and how it's going to play out excited to see it enjoy uh you know Looking forward to heading down south to Tampa once again and, and calling that football game.
0: Clay Vick Ryan Leaf on the call on ESPNU on Saturday. But until then, enjoy a fun Week 13. Look at the national narrative and see how it affects the Pac-12 because things are about to get very – if they weren't interesting already for you, they're about to get even more interesting uh, with the way that things are progressing from a college football playoff perspective. But until we're back next Tuesday, for the most famous man in Utah right now, Ryan Leaf – My name is Jonathan Rifkin signing off. Enjoy week 13. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe across all listening platforms. This has been Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcast Network. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you.